We're so thankful for your faithfulness this morning in joining us. It's always exciting when we gather together as a church family. I, I was awful tempted after Pastor Tim left this morning just to take everything and move it outside and just have church outside this morning. Man, it's so beautiful out there. Just a beautiful day here in Springfield, Missouri. But I'm excited to share with you this morning. I want to share a message titled, Look at This. Titled, Look at This. How many of you have ever had a mentor or a teacher who drew your attention to something that was very important for you to see? And we can remember, we can remember when we were in elementary school, the teacher would be up there teaching and she'd be talking about something and all of a sudden she would draw a circle around it. She'd draw a big circle around it just to get our attention focused on what she wanted us to see in this particular problem or sentence. Um, a lot of times a teacher will say, hey, if I say something twice, it's important. You need to pay attention to it. Debbie and I started into full-time Christian ministry back in 1999 when we went to Park Street Baptist Church down in St. Petersburg, Florida. We had the opportunity to go down there and be on staff. And it was such an exciting time because Park Street was such a successful ministry. The church had started out about 25 people, and it was built up to about 300, and it was continuing to grow. And we were so excited to be there and be a part of that ministry. Man, the, the staff was so young, or, or in my case, young in the ministry. I wasn't as young as the rest of the staff was, but man, we were, we were very young in the ministry, and we were so eager to learn. We were so excited about learning ministry. And it was always exciting when pastor would ask us to accompany him on a visit, maybe a hospital visit or a visit on a visitor, or just, just to accompany him going somewhere like to Staples to pick up some office supplies. Because it was an opportunity for us just to sit one-on-one -on -one and talk about and learn about ministry. There was always an opportunity there for us to grow. And many of the things that I learned while I was there at Park Street, I still use in the ministry today in one level or another. We learned some valuable, valuable lessons as we were taught. There were several instances in the Gospel where Jesus did this with His disciples. He would call His disciples around and He would focus their attention on something that he wanted them to see. Maybe it was an event or something that was taking place. He didn't want them to miss it. And he would make that. It was, it was awesome to watch. He would take just a life situation. He'd say, hey guys, pay attention to this. This is really something I want you to see. And they would watch it. And then he would take that event and he would make some great life lesson out of what that person was living out in front of them. It was a great opportunity to teach. And there are several instances in Scripture where people's actions impressed Jesus to the point that He used those as teaching opportunities. And give that a little thought. We have the potential to do things that would draw Jesus' attention to the point that He would use our actions to teach others. Isn't that an incredible thought? That there would be something that a person could do 
that would draw the attention of Jesus to the point that He said, hey guys, there's something I want you to see here. There's something that I want you to learn. So this morning, we're going to look at just quickly this morning, three things, three times that the attention of Jesus was caught by those teachable moments and how they can be applied to our lives today. So the first thing we want to see this morning as we read, Christ wanted His followers to see sacrifice. He wanted those who followed Him to see and understand what it means to sacrifice. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even her living. Now, the temple had to be an impressive sight. When you read through the Old Testament and you you find some of the history that goes along with that, it had to be an incredible thing to be in the temple. I kind of picture it as being almost like being in the mall on Saturday afternoon. Or maybe even more so, being in the mall on Black Friday. I mean, it would have been packed out with people who were buying and selling animals to sacrifice. A lot of the people who came into the country didn't bring animals with them. When they got to the temple, the priests would have animals for sale that they could buy and use for their sacrifice. The money changers would have been running around making shady deals on exchange rates. The religious leaders would have been running around in their flowing robes taking care of the temple business. It had to have been an impressive sight just to see the hustle and bustle and all these people running around and just taking care of business. Now, historians tell us that when the Pharisees gave their offerings, they would often have someone announce and blow a trumpet that they were about to give. The text says that they put in large amounts of money. And we can almost picture in our minds there in the temple these Pharisees coming in with their their big hats and their long flowing robes and somebody walking behind them with a trumpet and and just going, Everyone! Mike's about to tithe! When they pass the offering bucket, I double-dog dare someone today to do that, okay? But it had to be an impressive thing to watch as these people came in and and they made these great announcements and it says they put in great sums of money. But there's something Jesus wanted us to see. And, And we can relate to this today. As Christians, we have been conditioned to believe that the big gifts are what God takes notice of and honors. Man, we love to hear the stories about the big check that came through at the last moment. Man, we didn't know what we were going to do. We were having all these struggles. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. The big check. The big check that saved the day. 
We love to read the books about these guys who give away their homes and give away their cars. And, and God just blesses them incredibly. They sold it all and they gave it away to a, a ministry or a church. Man, we hear stories like that. And sometimes we go, man, I wish I could do that. And then God would like me too. It just seems like that's upper level Christianity when you can give some great offering or do some great thing like that. And we begin to think that that's what it's going to take for God to really love us and be concerned about us. You know, there had to be people in the temple that day who came in with just their offering. And they had to have been a little discouraged when they went up and and they put their offering in, and all of a sudden, right next to them, there's the trumpet, and it's pouring this big sum of money in. It had to be kind of discouraging watching the others cast in their great sums of money. But there's something interesting that takes place at this point. As Jesus sat watching, it says He sat, He was watching the people put their offerings in. Suddenly he leaned forward a little bit. Something caught his attention. He said, hey, hey guys, catch this. I want you to catch this. See that woman right there? She just put in everything she had. And, and I can imagine these guys looking and going, what? You know, she put in a, a couple mites. It, it's a couple mites. I mean, if we bring her gift forward in today's economy, Jesus' attention was caught by about $2. It's about what they say those, those coins would be worth in today's economy. $2. And it's amazing to think that such a simple act would catch the attention of Jesus. Now, here's the lesson that Jesus wanted him to learn. This is what he wanted his disciples to catch. And I'm going to bring this forward into into today. If Bill Gates visited Real Life Church today, and when they passed the offering buckets, he put a check for $10,000 in the offering bucket as it went by. Do you think Bill Gates would miss $10,000? Now, that's, that's, a, that's a line item on the general ledger. That's just something he needs to account for. Now, Pastor Tim would be tickled stupid when he got that, okay? Jason, Jason when he put it, he would have a tear in his eye as he filled out the deposit slip, you know? Because, you know, just honestly, that would be, that would be a big deal to us, wouldn't it? I mean, that would, that would be a huge blessing to Real Life Church to have that. It truly would. But, God's not all that impressed. Somebody who's worth several billion dollars gave two mites to him. He's not that impressed. Now, here's what catches God's attention this morning. Here's what catches His attention. What catches God's attention this morning 
is the single mom who ties this morning knowing that the numbers don't add up for the rest of the week. That's what catches God's attention. What catches God's attention this morning is the family with limited income that by faith gives above and beyond to missions knowing that there's really not enough food in the pantry to make it to the end of the week. But by faith, they give. And I want to acknowledge this morning that there are people in this room today that sacrifice to make real life happen each week. They do. They sacrifice. For many... When that offering goes in the bucket today, the numbers for the rest of the week don't add up. But by faith, they're going to sacrifice. They're going to trust God. And can I just say, God notices your sacrifice. There's one thing we see out of these verses. It's that God notices your sacrifice. For many, sacrifice goes beyond just simple tithing. My associate pastor at Impact used to say all the time, tithing is the ground floor, not the penthouse. It's where we start. When we do that, and that is a hard discipline to develop. I'm not going to gloss that over. It's a hard discipline to develop. The habit, the discipline of tithing. Because there are going to be those times that the numbers don't add up. But I can testify, God is faithful. He's faithful. It's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. There's a lot of debate over tithing in the New Testament. Does the New Testament really teach the principle of tithing? And, and, and I believe I can see just in the words of Jesus where He said we should tithe. But so far they don't listen to me. I, I try to tell all these theological scholars you know, what's going on, but they don't, they don't listen most of the time. But the widow's gift reflected a new standard, standard testament that's clearly taught in many places. So many people will say, Man, I just wish we could get back to an Acts 2 New Testament church. I wish we could get back to that point where we could be that, that, that Acts church. No, you don't. That, that, was a, that was a rough thing. That church was messed up. I mean, they had all this sin going on. Paul, Paul had to write epistle after epistle trying to get the church straightened out. I mean, the, the apostles, they worked so hard get, trying to get it straightened out. It, it, was, it was a tough thing. To be a part of that New Testament church. And, and we, think, we think that's the standard where we should get to. No, you don't. That, that, that was a rough church. They were being persecuted. They were being persecuted. They were learning specific things the hard way. The New Testament standard, again and again and again, we see was to give everything. We struggle with tithing. We look at the New Testament church and again and again and again we see where they gave everything to the church. Jesus told the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, He said, Go sell all that you have 
and then come and follow me. In Acts chapter, 36, chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, it says, And Joses, who the apostle surnamed Barabbas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He gave it all. Shortly after that, there was another couple who saw that and said, hey, we want to do that. So they sold their land and they brought it and they decided, hey, we're going we're to keep back a chunk of this. And so they brought it to the apostles and said, hey, we sold the land like, Barab- Bar- like Barnabas did. And they gave it to them. And they looked at him and said, you have lied to God. Boom. They're both dead. You still want to be a part of that church? But there's a standard here. Now, God does not call everyone to give everything they have. A lot of times we read the books and we go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this and and God's going to bless it. Not if God hasn't called you to do it. We can't replicate the power of others. But I can tell us clearly from Scripture that God has called each and every one of us to sacrifice in some way. And the evidence of joyful, sacrificial giving, it abounds through the epistles. If God's attention is attracted by sacrifice, we need to ask ourselves, what would those blessings be worth to us? What would those blessings be worth to us? If God has, if we have God's attention, it means something's about to happen. We sacrifice. We have God's attention. There's something that's about to happen. Second thing Christ wanted His followers to see was faith. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. It says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto Him a centurion beseeching Him, and saying, Lord, My servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that Thou shouldst come under My roof, but speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Now, let's, let's, let's bring this down home today. If we stood before Jesus today pleading our case like this centurion, what would He say about our faith? If we had a prayer request, if we came before Him, we fell on our knees in prayer, we came before Jesus today, What would He say about our faith? Would Jesus say something like this? 
Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Springfield. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? What is it about this man that caused Jesus to take notice of his faith? Here he comes. He, he, when Jesus traveled, there were usually hundreds of people just following him around him. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're all asking things of him. And all of a sudden, here's this centurion who comes and, and makes a request. And Jesus stops and he takes notice. What was it? The answer is found in one small portion of the centurion's speech. He said, but speak the word only. That's all this man needed from Jesus. Jesus, I just need to hear you say the words. That's what I need. Here's the centurion's definition of faith. This is how he saw faith. Faith equals because you said so. Jesus, that, that's all I need. You said so. We're good. Let's go. It's interesting as you read this that when Jesus heard the words of this centurion who came to him. He turned around to all the people that were following him. He probably turned around and he saw the disciples, the women that had followed him for quite a long time, ministering and taking care of the group, all the people who had seen the miracles and were following him because of that. He turned to the people who were following him. And he pointed out the faith of someone who wasn't following him. That's, that's pretty uncomfortable, so we're not going to camp there. But let's try to press down on this a little harder. When did, because Jesus said so, cease to be enough to move our faith. There are, there are things in Scripture that Jesus clearly tells us to do. God clearly instructs us to do. And what's our response? Well, Pastor, I need to pray about it. When did Jesus say said so? Cease to be enough. We need to allow the words of Jesus to move us to faith. In Matthew 8, 13, And Jesus said to the, unto the centurion, Go thy way. Now catch this. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed the selfsame hour. To this centurion, Christ's words were enough and the servant was healed. That was all it took. The key factor in this servant's miraculously healing was the centurion's faith. That was the key to the whole thing. The centurion said, say the words. That's all that needs to happen. 
say the words. He believed that Jesus could do this with just a word. He wasn't going to let his faith limit what God could do. And in our life, the greatest limitation to our faith is the ability to believe. That's the greatest limitation of our faith. Just to believe that Jesus' words are enough. And we all struggle, don't we? Sometimes when we read those words, we struggle. But like the father who had a demon-possessed son in Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, do you believe? And, and, and the father said, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I, I believe, but I'm not sure I believe quite enough yet. I need to believe more. Lord, help me in my faith. Lord, help me to believe when everything around me says not to. That's the big struggle sometimes. We read in Scripture, we read the verse, maybe we've read the promise keeper and we've circled the verses and drawn lines to them and and we've done all the things we were supposed to do and we believe, but the reality around us still looks a lot different than the verse we circled. Lord, help me to believe. Help me to have more faith. Because when we do that, God's attention is going to be drawn to our faith. Third thing Christ wanted His followers to see was surrender. He wanted them to see surrender. Acts chapter 7 tells us the story of Stephen, who was one of the first deacons in the church. And I like Stephen, man. He was, he was a preacher's preacher. He, he had just preached a blistering message to the high priest and the religious leaders. Eventually, he came around to accusing them of killing the Messiah that they had waited so long for. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 54 through 58. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. After Jesus returned to heaven, we we have about 16 accounts where it says that he is seated on the throne at the right hand of God. And there, He's making intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's pleading for us. He's preparing for the day that we'll come to be with Him or the day that God says, Son, go get my children. He's there. He's waiting. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, 
we read where Stephen says the following. And behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Do you think heaven noticed when Jesus suddenly stood up? I mean, I, I have an active imagination, so I'm, I'm, I'm picturing Jesus. He's, he's sitting there one fine morning and the, the four living creatures are flying around the throne and man, the, the streets of gold are just looking extra shiny this morning. The, the, the heavenly choir is just, I mean, they, they're nailing it. They're nailing it this morning. It's just a great morning. And everything in heaven is just about what it's supposed to be. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, yes! And he jumps up. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in heaven, all of a sudden, here's Jesus. He jumps up and everybody's going, What's what's going on? This is this is this is not this is not godly behavior to jump up and yell yes. You think you noticed? I mean, we have to wonder if there was a a collective gasp in heaven when Jesus jumped up off the throne because of something he saw. Now, I don't have a biblical leg to stand on here, but I wonder if. If as he stood up, he would have said something like this. Hey, hey, guys, I want you to catch this. That's my servant, Stephen. He is about to give it all. Get ready to welcome him home. Stephen's sacrifice, his surrender was enough that it moved Jesus to the point that he stood up in heaven, from His throne. What a thought. What a thought. And we stop and we look at these heroes of the faith. I mean, they're in the Bible. These heroes of faith. We look at their actions of sacrifice, their faith, their willingness to surrender. They were all such that Heaven could be focused on them. Isn't that an incredible thought? Heaven focused on the actions of a person here on this earth. But the thing is, these people were no different than you and I. They were people. That was it. The widow was just a lady who didn't have much to give. But she understood sacrifice. She understood if I sacrifice, God is going to bless my sacrifice. The centurion, he was just a guy who got up and went to work every day. That's all he was. He got up, he did his job, but he just happened to have a servant who was really sick and he was worried about him. Stephen, he was just a guy in the church who was willing to serve. 
That's all he was. A guy in the church who was willing to serve. And yet, they were willing to take it to the next level. That's really the only thing that separated them from others. They were willing to step out in sacrifice, in faith, and in surrender and take it to the next level. What's the next level look like for you? There is not a one of us here this morning, including me, no surprise to you, that that has arrived. Not a one of us has arrived spiritually. There is not a one of us who have arrived at a level of faith that we can say, I'm good. There's, There's nothing more I can learn. There's no more that I can grow. What does the next step look like to you? What has God asked you to sacrifice that you're holding on to? What's He asking you to sacrifice? That you're just, you have a death grip on it. You are not willing to sacrifice. And I have seen people white knuckled hold on to something in their hands that if they would just be willing to sacrifice, God would bless them more than they could ever have imagined. What's He asking you to sacrifice? What's what's the next step of faith that God has asked you to take? What's He asked you to do? I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes God will ask something of you that will blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. I can take you back to Homer, Michigan and show you a spot in our backyard where I was kneeling down pulling weeds when God called me to preach. I laughed out loud and looked to see if somebody else had come to help me pull weeds. Blew my mind. Just to be honest, it took a while before I got to the point where I said, yes, Lord, I'm going to take that step of faith. Is it possible? Is it possible that God is calling someone from real life church today to take that next step of faith in their walk with Him? What do you need to surrender? What what is it that would cause Jesus to jump up and say, hey guys, I want you to catch this. What's the next level? What's the next step up look like for you this morning? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to have everyone stand up if you would. This morning I just want to touch this very quickly. Maybe... Maybe the next step of surrender for you is that you need to surrender your pride and your self-will. 
and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've come here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe today He has brought you to this place at this time to hear this message to tell you it's time to surrender your pride. It's time to sacrifice your self-will. It's time to take that step of faith and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. He died for your sins. He died for a relationship with you that He wants to begin this morning. And He is looking down from heaven at you right now and saying, guys, watch this. Watch this. He's about to give it all. She's about to give it all. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed this morning, if you've come here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but this morning you'd like to surrender. You'd like to take that huge step of faith and accept Him as your Savior. Would you raise your hand up real high where I can see it? Anyone this morning, I need that relationship with Jesus. All right, I don't see any hands. That's a good thing. That's a sad thing. That shows us that we have a lot of work to do here at Real Life. Maybe this week, that surrender will be for you just to reach out to someone and just say, hey, I want you to come with me next week. I want you to hear the words of life. I want you to hear the message of Jesus. And now maybe this morning, there's some of you, you know what that next step of faith is. You know what you need to surrender. You know where you need to step out. And I'm going to challenge you this morning. The centurion... When he went to Jesus, he had to step out. He had to go to Jesus. The widow, when she was getting ready to sacrifice all that she had, she stepped out. She made the effort. Stephen had to have the courage to go before the religious leaders and preach to them. I'm going to challenge you as, as the band sings in just a few minutes or even right now if you, want to, if you want to come. I'm going to challenge you to come to this altar and just kneel in prayer and say, God, here I am. God, here I am. I know that your attention is focused on me right now. There's something in my life I need to surrender there's something I need to sacrifice. There's a step of faith that I need to take. And to do that, I need your attention. Don't put it off. Take that step today. Just come forward and just kneel here and do some business with God. Father, I pray for those this morning who are going to come. I pray for those who even right now are fighting. They're resisting Your Word in their life. I pray that they would surrender. I pray that they would sacrifice. And I pray that they would take the next step today to bring them 
closer to You. Thank You this morning for Jesus, for His message, and for the words of Your book. In Jesus' name, Amen.